When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It takes a lot of hard work to make it look easy. This Mother's Day, Duluth Trading Co. can help you give her something that keeps up. Whether you prefer to shop online or in-store, Duluth has a motherload of gear, goods, and gifts to keep her comfortable and capable, no matter what needs doing. With Duluth's problem-solving details and legendary durability to boot, you'll finally be mom's favorite again. Check out DuluthTrading.com for all your Mother's Day gifting needs. Welcome to the new series of the Olive Magazine podcast, Kitchen Crafting. I'm Janine, Deputy Editor and Podcast Host, and each week I'll be joined by an expert in their field to take a dive into a specialist subject. This week I learn all about making natural kitchen remedies from foraged, grown and store cupboard ingredients. Okay, so this week I'm delighted to welcome Christine Iverson, who's the author of two books exploring natural remedies, The Hedgerow Apothecary and The Garden Apothecary. Thank you so much for coming to chat to us today, Christine. Hello, Janine. Nice to be here. Um, I just thought I'd start um, by asking you how you how you started making your own remedies or a little bit about that journey? I think it probably all started when I was a child, to be honest, because I lived in a household where we did make things. My dad used to brew his own wine and beer and we made ginger beer and we did a lot of baking and making. And, and as I got older, I sort of always did it, always did do some baking and jam making and preserving. Um, then 20 years ago, we moved here to a little village in the bottom of the South Downs and I noticed all this all this wonderful fruit and things hanging from the trees and I thought there must be something I can do with that. Started to do a little bit of research and, and found out you could do wonderful things with it and it was all free. Yeah. And what kind of like reference books did you use at that point? Because obviously that was pre pre-google times I'm imagining um gosh let me think 20 years ago was it really yeah, yeah. It probably was actually <laughs> probably was um I think I did a lot of searching through the local libraries really and there's some lovely foraging books around that you can find um it was the elder that really caught my eye I hadn't noticed the elder tree before we all knew about elderflower making elderflower cordial but I noticed in the autumn they you got these wonderful red berries and I thought what can we do with that I found you could make fantastic cordial with the berries that you could have hot in the in the winter and it was really good for coughs and colds and yeah. also the elder tree has got such fabulous folklore to do with it it's the witch's tree quite honestly the witch lives in the elder tree so you should always ask permission from her before you pick anything from the elder tree you must ask permission okay I'll, I'll remember that <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's quite fascinating isn't it because the history and tradition of herbalists, herbalists and apothecaries is, is really, really long, isn't it? It goes back mm. to ancient times. Can you tell us a bit about that? Absolutely. I mean, I know things have been found in um, in Celtic tombs. There's, there's been all sorts of things found. But really, my interest was perhaps in the medieval times when you'd have a wise woman or a cunning man that lived in every village and they would have the knowledge which would have been passed down from 
father to son, mother to daughter, and they'd know a little bit about hairs, about herbs and spices and things and what you could cure with them. They they did know how to do things and they would trade. People would come to them with an ailment and they'd trade. They'd give them a dozen eggs and they'd make them up a potion or, or cast a spell because there was a little bit of sort of witchcraft going on as well. Mm. And, and just to, you know emphasize that we're not saying that there's anything in these books that's going to cure you know it's it's not it's not replacing a doctor it's actually very quite gentle remedies you know for like skin and hair and maybe a sore throat it's like it's not it's not a replacement for actually if you need to seek medical advice no 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 I mean all the remedies are very simple and it's like say if you've got some sore skin or you can't sleep very well it's that kind of thing I wouldn't recommend you do anything you know to replace your doctor always see your doctor if you're worried yeah do you think it's um that during lockdown people started getting a little bit more involved in that DIY that whole DIY thing and kind of you know making things themselves and have you seen more interest in the sort of things that you do? I think definitely I mean I wrote The Hedgerow Apothecary was my first book which was in 2019 because it was the hedgerows that I was particularly interested in um And there was a bit of an upsurge then. I did notice people were quite interested in what I was doing and wanting to, you know, I did a few workshops and they were very well attended. My intention was never to write a book. I literally wrote for my local parish magazine um, every month, just a recipe or a remedy from the hedgerows local to me. Um, It was by pure accident that I managed to get a publishing deal, but it was fantastic really (laughs) but certainly with lockdown I started to go into the garden a lot more rather than being out into the in the hedgerows and it made me look in the garden what can I use out here the first thing I found was calendula because I wanted something to make a a really lovely hand cream for my nieces who were both nurses all they could get was something um, that was full of petroleum jelly or had chemicals mm. in it. They wanted something that was lovely and natural. So I toddled out in the garden to see what I could find and found that calendula is incredibly soothing for the skin and whipped up a batch of balm for them, which made me think, oh, what else can I use? <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Um, let's talk about some of the ingredients that you can use in natural remedies. So you mentioned calendula is that is that a wild thing or is that something that you grow that's something you would you would grow in in your garden it grows really really easily you know if you've Mm. got a calendula plant it will spread everywhere it's very recognizable it's also known as pot marigold because it was it's edible so it was put into the into food in medieval times as well it's i mean it's a bright orange flower it's very recognizable it's very safe you can eat it but it's very good for your skin as well there's so many things that you mentioned in the book which actually have got that double um double thing of you can you can put it on your skin and you can eat it um a couple of the herbs that you talk about which are really common uh thyme and sage I'm quite interested in because I didn't realize that um thyme is is both antiseptic and antibiotic and actually mm. manufacturers of of bigger things use it in in you know the, the kind of mass market creams as well don't That's they right. I didn't realize that. yeah and it's actually used in in mouthwash and hand sanitizer acne medication but it's a nice it's a nice natural antiseptic so you can infuse it into honey if you wanted to sort of sit it into some lovely raw honey for a little while and then you'd get the benefits for, of that if you had a sore throat but it's also great using it for cooking yeah so you get the benefits when you put it in your cooking as well 
Yeah. And tell us a bit about sage because that's got some interesting properties <laughs> as well, hasn't it? Well, sage has been used for years for um, banishing negative energies um, in houses. You hear people going smudging all the corners of their houses with sage to get rid of the negative energies. But it's also um, got quite a lot of other properties, which I can't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> I think you had in in your book there's a few um there's a few remedies where you would use it as, as like toothpaste and for your mouth mm, for like it's calming very, it's very healing for your gums and antiseptic yeah. although it's quite a strong taste so I think you've got to be yeah. you've got to be quite keen on sage for that sort of thing but I certainly knew that um that uh, that travelers and gypsies with the lovely dark hair apparently would make a, a rinse using sage and it would keep their hair nice and black and shiny so it's a good one if you've got dark hair I love it like a lot of these um, herbs and, and flowers are kind of do that thing of you can drink it, you can put it on your skin, you can rinse your hair with it. You can mm. make, It's just that like catch-all stuff, isn't it? That's so, what's so great really about it. Yeah, that's, that's what's so interesting. There's so much you can do and I don't think people people realise and that's why I'd like to get, get them out there and get them yeah. making things just from their back gardens. Another one I'm quite I'm quite fascinated by is aloe because I've seen aloe plants sold mm. and they look like I mean they are it is a succulent isn't it it is yeah and um and I was reading in your book how you prepare it can you describe that because it's, it's a bit mad but <laughs> <laughs> well if you sort of think about what an aloe plant looks like it's quite long and it's got long spiky leaves but they're quite yeah. chunky aren't they and they're, they're full yeah. of aloe vera gel so you can peel them almost not like a banana but you need use a knife to peel away and you'll get this clear blob of gel in the middle which you can just zizz up in a food processor or mash it and it will go down to quite a thick liquid and that's really lovely um if you get sunburn aloe on your yeah. on your sunburn i wouldn't recommend you get sunburn obviously but if you mix aloe with a little bit of coconut oil because that's lovely and moisturizing mm. and some lavender oil if you've got some of that hanging about a lot of people have got a little bit of lavender essential oil in their kitchens nowadays and that makes a beautiful after sun kind of treatment but if you do get badly burned please see a doctor or a pharmacist and and get some proper treatment for it this is only for anything mild yes for your mild sort of just mm. catching the sun and it, can I literally do that with just an aloe plant that I would by mm. in the garden center mm. yeah the only thing yeah the only thing i would say was uh, it's obviously so many plants in the garden center are brought on and they do use pesticides and i i would always try and find one that maybe a friend's grown because aloe vera plants do readily have little babies and you can get yourself a little plant from a friend <laughs> and you know that it's not been treated with anything that's nasty i'd always say if you can either grow it yourself or get it from a, a source that you know hasn't used pesticides that's got to be the best thing to do and once you've taken a, the little leaf off and peeled it will 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 it heal will it like something grow in its place or i think I mean, it'll regrow yeah regrow. You, it'll just keep going keep shooting Fantastic. out these yeah they're clever aren't they <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Stick around for more expert advice on natural remedies from Christine. Yes, 
Yeah, another 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 really common one, which I don't particularly want to go and pick, is um is the nettle. Because obviously, you know, I've had bad run-ins with nettles. My little dog <laughs> likes to weigh on them and got spiked oh, the other week. So, oh, gosh. so yeah. Um, what what sort of properties do nettles have? Well, the first thing I'm going to say is, if you're going to go and harvest nettles, go somewhere where dogs are not <laughs> going to weigh on them. <laughs> really, I'm not sure you do, do it again. <laughs> yeah, you don't. We don't want that. And and go somewhere where again there's no pesticides being sprayed and and things like that and it's such a recognizable plant I think we we all know what a nettle looks like don't we and Mm. that's a big part of writing these books is that I want it to be accessible to people I'm not going to use plants that you've never heard of you've got no clue what they look look like I want people to be confident in going out and picking and nettle is is an obvious one and apart from making a fantastic cake nettle cake which is in the garden apothecary book which is really a showstopper because you cover it in your white icing and it's only when it's cut open you see this bright green cake in the middle and it's really lovely really really lovely but I mean nettles are historically a a cure for hay fever so nettle tea maybe mixed with chamomile is a a good cure for hay fever because it contains natural antihistamines and there was an old folk tale that I read that if you had bad hay fever, you should strip naked and roll around in a patch of nettles, which <laughs> obviously in the privacy of your own garden. Is that not just going to distract you with the pain of rolling in nettles and getting stung over and over again? It's going well, to distract you from your... Well, quite possibly. Because, I mean, what, what do you, would you normally wear, like rubber gloves to... to I mean, yeah. how, do I, how do I avoid the sting, basically? Yeah, rubber gloves if you've got them. And we're only looking at the... The tender sort of top four leaves, they're the best ones to get because they're the newest and the freshest and the tenderest. So you just pick the top four leaves, put them into a carrier bag. As soon as you start to process them or put them in hot water or cook with them, the sting goes. So it's dead, dead easy. I remember when I was little, my mum giving me um, a dock leaf Mm. to to rub on nettles because that takes the sting away, doesn't it? And they always grow together, which I think a lot of a lot of those things do you know there's there's something and then there's an antidote for it which grows quite close Mm. and that's a great one which we have kept you know all from our childhoods you know that's one that we all know but so many of the cures have been have been lost which is a shame because they were never really written down it was all verbal because a lot of times these the people using them couldn't read or write so unless they passed down their knowledge it was lost and then when we're using stuff like from the store cupboard it, alongside it, I know you've mentioned in the book a few times, um, there's raw honey and apple cider mm. vinegar. And they're both particular, aren't they? Because they're kind of like, it's the it's the unpasteurized version of, of whatever that product might yeah. you might find on the supermarket shelf. Why yeah. is it important to get that kind of... Well, the raw honey particularly hasn't been pasteurized. It hasn't been heated above 40 degrees. And that means it still retains all the wonderful sort of things that are in in it which can heal you a bit like manuka honey which has got wonderful healing properties in it the only thing i would say is you should never give raw honey to to very small babies it's not good for them there's a possibility it could make them poorly um if you can get your honey from a local beekeeper that's even better i'm trying to find a local producer which is also supposed to be good for your hay fever if you have hay fever raw honey is supposed to be very good for it yeah especially if that if if it's local and they're getting 
the same pollen that's affecting your mm. hay fever. It's meant to be a good cure, mm. isn't it? That's and apple right. cider vinegar is something that's gone. I mean, you've got a, um, you've actually gotten a recipe for it in your book. That's gone mad the past few years. Oh, like people yeah. are raving about it for everything. Yeah, aren't they? yeah. I think. I mean, that started off with the Americans. They they yeah. go mad for it over there. They use it for absolutely everything, and it's so easy to make. It literally is just some fallen apples. Um, I've got apples falling at the minute from a big tree in my garden I'm literally picking up the windfalls and, and using yeah. them put them into some water with some sugar and let them ferment and you get apple cider vinegar within the space of about eight weeks That's amazing. for free <laughs> it's so easy <laughs> and it's so expensive you know the... yeah, it's, yeah it's about eight quid a bottle I think the last one that, I <laughs> that bought, was for so. a little bottle <laughs> Might just go out looking for some apples later. Definitely. Um, Any windfalls, quite often, I don't know if it's rural at all where you live, but we often have people leaving boxes of fruit outside the door you can just pick up. <laughs> oh, nice. Sounds idyllic. Maybe, maybe not where I am. Might be a bit too urban where I am, but I can keep an eye out. <laughs> um, what about sort of equipment? Do we need specialist equipment? I was just talking about using similar stuff that you would use for cooking and in the mm. kitchen I don't really have any specialist equipment to be honest you know I've got a few big jam pans for when I'm doing preserving and things I like to use a big pan you just need your basic sauce pans and jars um if you haven't got something like a nice muslin cloth for, for sieving everything through just use a nice clean cotton tea towel so mm. there's nothing really you need to go out and buy and think oh this is going to cost me a fortune to make all yeah. these things um further on if you want to take it a little bit further and you want to make the lotions and the balms then you you know you maybe will have to source some beeswax from somewhere again if you've got a local if you've got a local beekeeper then you can probably manage to snaffle a little bit of his beeswax as well but you, you know it depends how deep you want to go into it really yeah. yeah and what about sort of preparing things so like preparation techniques of herbs and flowers mm. um, I think you mentioned that you have to have a little bit of patience and dry them out a little bit before you what why is it important to do that you do I mean it's really important to dry your your herbs and flowers before, if you're going to infuse them into oil if mm. there's any liquid left in them it could turn your oil rancid and you don't want to be using rancid oil I mean sometimes you can just wilt things if you're going to make your oil straight away just literally leave them for a couple of nights on a, on a drying rack dry them out a little bit and use them but I like to especially this time of year I'm gathering calendula every single day um, and I just have a bit of wood with some chicken wire on the top and I've got all the calendula flowers sitting on there in different stages of of being dried and then once they're nice and dry and crisp I can keep them in a jar and they'll be good for all year round so if you just want to use them straight away you just need to wilt them a little bit but if you want to store them they've got to be completely dry. So you've got a whole chapter on carrier oils in your uh, a few mm. pages at least in, on carrier oils in your book so the carrier oil is is basically the oil that you then infuse your dried herbs or your dried flowers into. Yeah. Um, and the oils in themselves are are important, aren't they? We're not just going out and getting like veg oil well, <laughs> from you the know, local shop. You could, kind of, you could, okay. you could, you know, if you wanted to, you could use olive oil, sunflower you, oil, okay. if you want to. All, lots of the different oils have got different properties depending on what you use them for, you know, whether mm. you've got oily skin or dry skin or whatever. Um, you've got to be a bit careful with something like almond oil, which is a good all-rounder, but if you've got a nut allergy... You shouldn't okay. be using, shouldn't you know, that. I mean, you've got to take a little bit of care of your own 
um health should we say yeah, you know you yeah. need to, you need to do a little bit of research and think well I've got a nut allergy I better not use almond oil what could I possibly use and you maybe would use grapeseed oil or yeah. sunflower oil or something like that so just take yeah, a little just, bit of care I'm just looking because some of them you know like um for example avocado oil's got anti-inflammatory mm. soothing hydrating properties so you've got you've got a really nice list of the oils and what else they 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 bring to the party basically so it's quite nice if you are going away from just a plain oil to experiment with them because then you get all that extra stuff in mm. there as well mm. tell tell me about um sun infusing because i found that really fascinating. oh i love sun infusing. i mean i you can't see in my kitchen at the minute but <laughs> it's a very old technique and you really are putting yeah. say your calendula flowers into your oil and i cover them with a muslin because if there is any moisture, we want the moisture to be driven away. Right. And then it will sit on a sunny windowsill um, and all the good properties from those flowers will infuse into the oil. And especially with calendula, it turns the oil a beautiful golden orange wow. colour. And it's lovely. But the British weather being as it is, you can't guarantee you're going to be able to do that. So you can do it by using a bain-marie and put your oil and your flowers right. and very very gently you've got to be gentle we don't want any fried flowers no. <laughs> <laughs> which i have done once or twice <laughs> yeah i mean you couldn't get further away from the idea of you know cooking up lotions and potions in a laboratory this is kind of like oh, really no. gentle lovely kind of considered um using the plant exactly as it should be mm. and being really gentle with it as well isn't it especially if you're growing it yourself because you know yeah. i sort of think in the spring i think right what do i want lots of this year and this year i did want lots of calendula so i've planted lots of calendula but then it's waiting for it to flower and then mm. drying it out so we're talking months and months um not just going in and taking something off the shelf which has been produced in a laboratory and that's i love it that way i you know yeah. giving it as presence to people is so lovely because I know that I've put so much time and effort into it yeah well um if people wanted to get started on their natural remedies journey what what are maybe a couple of things you would suggest that they could do recipe wise it takes a while to get confidence I think um you really want to get yourself a good field guide and know what your flowers are always be a hundred percent certain of what you're picking it's mm. it's quite important some things mimic other things start with something really recognizable um blackberries everybody knows yeah. what blackberries are like and, and you can make a really lovely uh blackberry vinegar um using white wine vinegar blackberries and a bit of sugar uh, and that's just fantastic it's lovely for sore throats you can gargle with it it's full of vitamin c it's a great one for sore throats but it's fantastic salad dressing as well so <laughs> yeah. i love it i love it multitasking yeah. <laughs> and it comes out a great color as you're you know letting it because you've got to let the black currants the blackberries sit there for a little while in the vinegar and it just gradually yeah. turns your vinegar this beautiful dark red so that you know it's ready and then you just warm it through with a bit of sugar and, and you're done and that's a nice simple one and everybody knows what blackberries look like I yeah, hope exactly. <laughs> yeah they do but yeah stick to something simple get your confidence up because yeah. you know you may you may look at some of these recipes and think oh gosh I need I need beeswax for that and I need this for mm. that but start simple yeah start I think that's really what's lovely I think what's lovely about the book actually is I've been through it a few times and I'm keep finding more and more things and actually 
you know, you say that this stuff that's complicated, but there's also stuff which is incredibly simple and mm -hmm. kind of, you know, um, makes perfect sense as well. So I think it's a great place for people to start. Um, thank you so much for coming to chat to us today, um, Christine. And if people want to buy your book, it's called The Garden Apothecary and it's available now to buy it in is. shops online. So go get it. Um, we're going to, on the bonus episode, talk about a recipe from the book and we'll put that online along with a link to buy it as well so people can go and find it. But thank you so much for chatting to us today. Thank you. It's been fun. <laughs> That was the Olive Magazine podcast. For more information on things we talked about in this episode and to check out our back catalogue of over 200 episodes, head to olivemagazine.com. And do listen out for our weekly bonus episode where Christine is sharing one of her favourite homemade remedies and explaining how to make it with perfect results every time.